Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Welcome to Overflow, the podcast. Are you filling everyone's cup meanwhile your energy and inspiration is drained? I believe when you move from overdrive to overflow, you have a supply of energy for people around you and all the demands of life so that you can tackle them with ease. Overflow is an experience of being in the zone with all your attention, so much so you momentarily forget everything else. This show is your weekly guide. Let's build a plan for making time for pure enjoyment or being fully absorbed in the complexity of your work or studies because this ambition will fill you up because you're not here to be average, you're here to be awesome. I'm Kimberly Snyder, motivational speaker, student of positive psychology, advocate and champion of people. I'm your cheerleader and your biggest fan. So fill up your cup, savor the moment as we chat and nourish the mind, body and soul so we can respond to life's challenges and find your overflow. I am totally full of emotion and totally um, just so ecstatic to introduce this audience to Jennifer Moss. Jennifer is an award-winning journalist, an author, an international public speaker. She is a nationally syndicated uh, radio columnist, and she writes for the Harvard Business Review. Can you believe we have her on our podcast? Her first book was Unlocking Happiness at Work. She received the Distinguished UK Business Book Award. You were also named the Canadian Innovator of the Year and also an International Female Entrepreneur of the Year. Can you believe she's here? And she was a recipient of the Public Service Award from the Office of President Obama. And she has a new book, The Burnout Epidemic, published by the Harvard Business Press, The Rise of Chronic Stress and How We Can Fix It. Um, she's also a mom and she's here in Waterloo, Ontario, Canada with me. And I'm happy to have you. Hey, I'm looking Thanks forward to for this. Yeah, it's great. There's lots of awesome talent and gems and good humans in Waterloo. That's right. That's right. Thanks for being here. I'm, I'm totally honored. And really, I agree that this book is very important and very timely. I love that it's helping leaders and individuals think about burnout. Often we do think about burnout and self-help books, but you've, you've just mastered the conversation to bring us all to the table, the leaders, the businesses, the organization, and the individual, like the, the human individual, not just the person at work, but me as a, as a mom and as a professional woman, you've brought all of us to the table and you keep saying in your book to create a happier, healthier, and more productive workplace. So it turns out um, band-aids and ping pong tables aren't enough. It's true. That's accurate. Yes. And we talked about that before, but it is a mission I think that we're both on. I, I agree. I agree. And so I have to admit of all the chapters I started with, so I've got the book here um, with all my post-it notes and highlights, but I have to admit um, I started with the last chapter, taking care of myself. So let's talk about that. So I love when you say in your book that it's not just the warm and fuzzy that makes the happiness a strategic priority. It's actually the upstream impact. So you mm -hmm. talk about the upstream impact of my 
mental health, my well-being, and how that prevents burnout. And then that helps us kind of show up and lead. Absolutely. You know, leaders are individuals too. They're moms and their dads and they're they're professionals. They also, you know, play on hockey on a men's team or they, you know, they're playing tennis and they're leading their boards or they're involved in parent committees. I mean, they're doing all of these other external things. Um, And so when we want to think of the leader, you know, in not just a very specific role that we think about them in the workplace where they're a boss or a manager, we're leaders all around in every aspect of our lives. And so when we're thinking about what our, you know, what our role can play around self-care, it isn't just that we're taking care of ourselves, which is really important, of course, because we want to be psychologically fit. There's a lot of stress coming at us, macro stress that we're living in day to day with the pandemic. And I'm sure there'll be other things that are come down the pipe. So we want to have that psychological fitness, but we also want to model that behavior for other people. And when we're, you know, walking the talk, that's when people respond. And if you're a person that, um, that influences others, you even have a bigger role to play in your self-care because people can't be what they can't see. And inside of organizations, employees that, you know, have their boss constantly emailing them at midnight or emailing them on the weekend or texting or messaging or calling or calling and checking in on vacations, on their vacations. Like us as individuals, we can't be doing that because everyone, you know, feels this invisible pressure then to follow their leader. And that means no one's well. So you're not well. And then a whole bunch of people around you are feeling the the contagion effect of your lack of Mm self-care. So it's it's an ecosystem approach. Everyone has to be able to participate before anything's going to change. Oh, I love that concept of the ecosystem. And that's exactly right. The psychological fitness that you time and time talk about our own mental capacity and practicing emotional intelligence. I would say through the pandemic as an HR professional supporting leaders, the women, mostly women leaders that I worked with, that's what I saw that they were so worried about, well, everything, Jen, they were worried about their business, their teams, um, the individuals, they were worried about their own families and all the things. And so they themselves, they weren't taking care of them. Like they didn't put self-care first. Women in general suffer from a lot of compassion and empathy fatigue. Uh, they're, they're just, um, and not all, but many are natural caregivers. And they tend to also, you know, have this really cool dynamic about them is that they're always sort of um, able to see uh, further ahead. They're very future focused and that they can project and predict what might happen because they have high sense, you know, sensory acuity. And so, you know, we're always trying to be 10 steps ahead all the time, always preventing, protect, protecting. And so not only are we just, you know, surviving in the moment, but we're also trying to like be, you know, be able to think about the future risks all the time, mitigating them. And when we do that, we get exhausted. You know, we feel exhausted and we come last. You hear that a lot with women in particular, like that they come last. And it's hard to put yourself first when you have all of these, you know, the subconscious sort of um, pressure, societal pressure, and even just your own sort of natural way of being. Yes, it's usually our own. 
It's yeah, usually our we, own pressure and high we standards. Do. We do. We apply a lot of pressure on ourselves and then we don't give a hundred percent then to everything that we want to. We sort of fall short. And that can be really hard on us as high performing people to fall short of those goals. So it's about preserving, creating margins and creating space so that we can actually be more effective and, um, and be able to do this role more sustainably for the future and over the long term. Exactly. More sustainably, especially as we think about a year, well, a year and a half ago, when we think about, oh, it's only going to be a three week break. And we all came home and put our feet up. And then we realized three months, then we realized six months. And here we are more than a year later in the pandemic. So what would, what advice would you have for women? Um, well, women and men, but typically the, the women that I've been surrounded with, the women entrepreneurs, the ones who have um, big jobs in corporations and in business, they're the ones I got. As soon as I got the book, honestly, I started with take yourself, um, take care of yourself first. Um, I started with that chapter first. And so any advice or tips you would suggest for women to create some space, create margins in their life? Absolutely. I've been through a burnout you know, episode in my life. And when you talk about burnout, it's this uh, sort of pathway that you see where people are sort of ebbing and flowing. You have these sort of pebbles that are grading at you, toxic workplaces or environments, these root causes of burnout that start small and then they become, you know, almost threatening to our health. And when I was a female founder of a tech startup, just that role of, you know, even just staying alive at first and scaling. And then the responsibility I felt to that role as a woman that I needed to be on boards. I needed to be in media advocating for how hard it is to get funded as a female founder. And, you know, all, I really wanted to speak a lot about that because it was so hard. And I ended up really taking on um, so much work and I was not you know, I was not being responsible for my health. And so what happens is after, you know, periods of time where you go through sort of that, that timeline of someone that is going through a burnout path, you hit what is called a, a wall. Um, Dr. Marie Asberg just prescribes it as a extreme exhaustion disorder, but that's, that's when you are actually officially burned out. So we are experiencing symptoms of burnout, but then we hit burnout. And that's actually when we go through some pretty catastrophic impacts to our health. And I had to leave the work. I needed to, this thing that I grew and I loved and I was connected to, I could no longer work at it anymore. I was so unwell. And I had to regroup uh, and my priorities with my children, with my family, with with all the irony that um, was associated with the fact that, that I was a well-being expert, you know, and had burned out, um, really was profoundly uh, sort of life-shaping for me. Right in your face. Right, it's right there. And again, that irony, it's like, how did this happen? And, and I spent a lot of time understanding it because that's what I do, you know, wrap my knowledge around it and learn. But, you know, sort of to go back to the, the tips piece, the, the reason why I share this story is because I had to create this priority structure, this sort of schematic, what's, how am I going to create a priority structure so that I don't, that doesn't happen to me again, that I'm always walking the talk. Mm -hmm. And I came up with this sort of this mindset around, is this a death um, bed regret moment right here? 
So if I say no to this thing, cause I do suffer from passion and I want to, you know, lead the way and role model. That's right. Show up, show that you're doing it. Yes. So you want to exactly. say yes. Mm-hmm. So you want to say yes. So I think if I say no to this, will that be a deathbed regret or will it take time away from my family because I've been over capacity? And then that would actually be a deathbed regret is not having enough time to pick up my kids um, at 3.30, which which I really like to do, my eight-year-old. So it's around, okay, how do I manufacture time that gives me that space? I use my calendar to block off space for writing so that I'm always ahead of my writing. I'm not always trying to do it right at the last minute. I have creative space that I put into my calendar. I don't take meetings on Monday anymore. Um, I always make sure that it's a catch-up day for me. I am really good about taking time away and disconnecting. I also use my out of office, which um, it just is all always on um, automatic out of office. And I manage people's expectations of my time right now. I'm launching a book. So this has been on for like six months, you know, right now I'm launching a book. I'm really busy. You're I, on podcasts. I'm yes. yes we I'm, all want I'm your time. And your... Work. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And so I use these tools to say, I respect your time. Here are some other people that you can contact. I will get back to you in this amount of time. So I will respond, Mm -hmm. but it might not be immediately. So you don't think I'm ignoring you and there's simple life hacks, but it gives me a lot of space to just not feel like I have to be like this and responding and hearing that ping and having to answer. Someone knows I'm there, but I don't need to be immediately answering them. So they don't feel left out, um, or unheard. So these are the things I've been really focused on and I do walk the talk and I am much healthier because of it. And I don't see myself burning out again, because I've been strict to this for two and a half years now. Um, and, uh, and it's really been good, good Good for for you. What a concept Dave! managing expectations. We're so, we were talking about this. There's, um, Charles Duhigg and you refer to him in your, Mm -hmm. in your book as well about productivity hacks and often leaders, um, people who have perceived all the answers, they're answering and addressing everybody's questions. So they're being pushed and pulled. And so then they don't block off. Like if you've blocked off Mondays, no, that's my refuel day. That's the day for me to do research or to think or whatever your deep work is that's Mm -hmm. precious to you and your self-care. A lot of people won't do that. And then the weekend will come, the next week will pass. And then they'll realize I haven't even had a minute actually to do what either fills them up or if they need time to think or space or time to rest. They don't, they don't actually. And so why can't we manage people's expectations? Like I don't do Mondays. Like, is there yeah, another time? People tend to be okay with it. And I'm talking in a, in a place of privilege, but entrepreneurs have more privilege than they realize. And they can set the tone of their organizations. Perhaps, you know, a woman uh, like a, a nurse or, you know, uh, someone in the front lines or a single mom, this is her job and she can't lose it doesn't necessarily that sort of privilege to say, Hey, I'm going to block off Mondays. I think that's why, again, leaders and those people that have the privilege need to enforce that support that. um, And then also behave that way too. And that's our, that's our job. You know, that's our mandate as leaders and those who are, you know, in our own roles of, um, of making our decisions for ourselves and for our, 
we have to look at ourselves as, as where's the, we're the staff, you know, and is this how I would treat my staff? Is this how I would, you know, treat them? Would I have those expectations of them to work to the point of exhaustion? It shouldn't be. So then why do we do that to ourselves? And it's about sort of creating that layer, that boundary where you're your own boss at times and cracking the whip a little bit on your own. It's brilliant. It's brilliant. You do a really good job, Jen. I, I, like I said, with the, um, with the notes and the, and the post-it notes, I think um, everyone for Christmas is getting this, this book from me. (laughs) It's just been, it's so great. It's so great. And I love how you layer in. So we talk about, or you talk about, I talk with you um, all through the book. So we'll have Mm -hmm. to have you on the podcast again, because I'm thoroughly uh, a huge fan, but you do talk about burnout. You talk about burnout, what it is and how um, um, it's recognized uh, as burnout since 2019. You talk about it at work and you talk about what counterbalances burnout. And equally, the other part that I love, like we don't have enough time to cover it all, but I also love leading with empathy and curiosity like you really do help us think about and just like you were saying about your own self-help these are the things that are helping me these are the things that I've put the patterns and systems in place to help me like serve my own self-care so that I can show up and if if 330 is a priority for me then then that's a priority and I work like I work that into my system so honoring but in your book um, you talk about leadership and leading with empathy. And at one point you say um, reduced empathy among our coworkers from leadership can increase burnout. Like there, there's, there's leaders that I, I think struggle with empathy. They have struggled with the pandemic and people working from home and if we were shy about demonstrating our empathy face-to-face, eyeball-to-eyeball in the workplace, it seems even more vulnerable now because I'm even closer in the screen and you're in my living room, like you're, you're in my home. And so. Well, technology too has, it has a benefit of connecting us, but it doesn't necessarily bring us together in the way that humans need to be sharing. Um, their nonverbal cues with each other. There's no serendipitous moments where you can look over at someone and see maybe they're having a bad day or you walk by their desk and normally they're happy all the time and they're not today or they're showing that they're withdrawing or you pick up signals from people in ways when you're in person with them that you don't virtually. So I think the empathy piece really comes from that that sharing of mere neurons where we're looking at each other and we're connecting and we're going back to the, you know, the days on the savannas where we needed tribes to survive. Mm-hmm. And because that isn't happening right now, I think there's been an atrophy of our humanity and in the workplace, that's a problem. And empathy is a way to drive that forward. It really is you know, how do I look beyond, you know, the, the background that we see where everything looks like it's totally together. And when people are saying they're fine and they look fine, but they're really in a state of chaos, we need to be asking more. We need to dig deeper. We need to have more check-ins on non-work related topics so that we can find out and listen, you know, actively as leaders to what people are saying. If they're saying, you know, they're tired frequently, or if they're mentioning that they had to be, you know, 
be with their mom because their mom's in the hospital or have to put her in a home or, you know, these, these roles as professional eavesdroppers, you know, is really what leaders need to be working towards. And that is picking up on, on those, those gray area, the reading between the lines pieces. And when they get that, then they can not just learn how to mitigate burnout and chronic stress and those things, but they can actually learn how to motivate. You know, someone's always excitedly talking about their gem collection or their, or their cottage or the things that really are exciting for them that they love to read and that they're really into nonfiction books. That's a way for a manager and a leader to figure out how to motivate too and celebrate that person. So it works both ways in that it stops people, you know, it stops um, you know, um, people from increasing their stress because nobody's paying attention to them, but it also helps them to feel valued and accepted and um, listened to. And it's really just like 20 minutes every single week of having a, you know, non-work-related conversation about life. Mm-hmm. Um, again, that's really where hum- human humanity and empathy connect. I'm going to encourage everyone to like, pause the podcast here and just rewind 35 seconds and really listen back to that about active listening, really doing the checking, this concept of eavesdropping, like pause it here, go back and mm-hmm. listen. Cause I really, I really appreciate that Jen. And on the note of um, stopping people, do you remember your um, cool fact about slowing down in the lunch line? I think this is brilliant. On, on the note of like pausing, right? Like stop and listen. You're asking the leaders to be active listeners, but there's also this concept of like pause and stop. Do you remember what the- Yes, I love this research. I included it in the first book too, because I just thought the project Aristotle was so fascinating, but I took a different approach in this book because they've done some newer research around it. But Google wanted to know, you know, how, what is the makeup of our high-performing teams? And they had this- you know, this idea that it was going to be education, technical skills, like all of these things that are really labels, maybe. Yeah. Yeah. Like the perks that they have, all these things, like whatever's driving people, they assumed whatever it was, um, was this, um, not what came out of the data, which was two very specific things, um, turn-taking in meetings. So basically psychological safety, feel like you can be heard, no one dominating those conversations and um, emotional sensitivity. So just being nice was the headline, right? Of their research of high-performing teams. The ones that built like the most ingenious tools that we use every day in our lives that we take for granted. I mean, it was built by being nice, being kind and giving people all around the table an opportunity to speak. And what they also found as a byproduct of this data, which leads to your question, is that when everything's going so fast, you know, and you're moving so fast fast and they just wanted to speed up the the lines in the, you know, they have shafts on site and they feed you all the time. So you stay on campus, you know, for longer and make it homey. Um, But what they also do is they wanted to make sure people would get back to whatever they were doing. So they grabbed their food. And and what happened is when the lines were so fast, people would grab their food and would go back to their office to eat. And it was stymieing innovation because when people actually stop and bits in line and talk about the projects they're working on, what would happen was 
things would spark, ideas would spark. And so they would then take their food and sit down at the table in the lunchroom and talk and create ideas. And they found out where these ideas were coming from. And it was because people stopped in line and talked to each other. Um, again, when I talk about the thing that is gonna be a echo pandemic, loneliness and isolation, it is because we're not, again, talking to each other in person the same way that we used to, where those things happen. And when you look at just business you know, competitiveness, having an innovative transformational team is really important. So creating that um, will be really important and, uh, and not having lunch lines slowed down might be a problem. And so that, that's exactly it. Like that links back to the whole happiness, um, happier, healthier workplaces. And like there's, and there's the word, and it's not, or it's not happier, healthier, or it's happier, healthier, and more productive workplace environments. So what a concept slow. And so they slowed the lunch line down, which caused people to just slow their pace, which mm-hmm. caused people to look around, make eye contact, talk to the others. And then what a concept, let's have lunch together. So they probably got to know each other more, got to know, even like you're saying, like, do they love their cottage? Are they having a rough day? And maybe because we know each other, we can actually sit and collaborate together rather than hurry rush because the boss, the organization, the business has performance demands and um, objectives to meet and all the things. So stopping, pausing, looking each other. And it was just by slowing down the lunch line. It is. And it seems counterintuitive. Like you think, oh, they're really looking at productivity and moving things along and understanding that there is something really special about having time with your coworkers. And when you look at relationships and productive relationships, first, a lack of community is a sign of, you know, is a precursor to burnout, but friends at work have huge benefits. I mean, it having one single best friend at work reduces burnout by 41%. So then, and you just have all those other benefits, but just one ally, you don't need a whole bunch of people. It's just one really good friend that can change how you feel about staying or leaving. And, and this is the, this is why I love this book. This is the whole dovetail for me, where we're thinking about the human being that she were worried about her, his or her um, burnout and the impact of leaders, their demands, the organization, or the small subtleties of, you know, empathetic, um, empathetic leadership. The, one of the um, best quotes that I wrote down, it's on page 111, is the best intentions are infused with empathetic leadership. I love that you've quoted that because it is so, and that you, that resonates because that's it. I mean, you can have good intentions, but without empathy, they don't land, you know, good intentions are actioned and appreciated and valued and lead really great results if they're imbued with empathy. Um, and we see, and I write about in that whole chapter of the book, all these, these thoughts where you're like, I'm being really empathetic, empathetic. I'm providing these really great perks and tools for you to have. And you see how badly they land and how tone deaf they are if they're not actually thinking about who they're serving. That's right. Um, and, and every moment too, like what people needed in the pandemic was different than what they might've needed two years before that, or even like March 1st versus March 30th in 2020, the needs dramatically changed. So any organization that's 
just like, this is how we are. This is what our values are. They're unchangeable. Out of the pandemic realized that if they stuck to that, that they would just lose a lot of people or burn them out. And then they exit the workplace inevitably. Mm -hmm. Yeah. What a concept looking again, like pausing, looking into somebody else's eyes. Maybe I don't have all the answers, but what is important to her or, or him? Like what is something that they're worried about? And is it something little like you're, you're worried about, you know, I, I think about the kids when we were in the lockdown, we had the kids at home, so they were online. And so I wanted time during the day to go over and support them because they're trying to figure out technology or teacher or homework or the concept that they're teaching. And so I wanted those, that was something that was important to me, but yeah, maybe instead of creating that um, offer, whether it's a um, like you, you talk about like the holiday parties, or I keep referring to the ping pong table, because I do think that'd be kind of fun, but maybe that's me. And maybe others would say, that's not a priority for me. I need, I need time, a little bit of space at three 30 to go and, you know, pick, pick the kids up from school. That's what I value. And so, gosh, couldn't we, couldn't we build a wonderful world if we just understood what each other valued and, and offered them that perk and offered her something else if, she had something else that she needed to yes. be happy to. Yeah. It's all about asking and we can measure, you know, through standardized surveys and all those things are really great inside of large organizations, but direct managers have a lot of power there to just ask, you know, what is it that, and, and I talk about this three questions that should be weekly, every single week. How are you? I'm fine. Are you really, you know, um, highs and lows. What are the high? What was the one high this week? What was the one low this week? It's similar to like how you would have a conversation sometimes with your kids or whatever like that. And I'm not diminishing it. I think it's a really valuable way to talk to each other. You know, what was high? What was a low? And then the third question should be, what can we do for each other as a team, as collaborators, or what can I do for you as a manager or both? Um, to make next week a little bit easier, to take some of those spinning plates off? Or what is the stressors that you're really dealing with? Do you just need a, like a person to talk to? You know, like, do you need a little bit of extra help? Can we all, you know, combine our efforts to do that? And it has to be consistent and frequent every single week. That is not, no way do we take that one meeting off the table. Mm-hmm. And every week we can do a little bit of incremental improvements. And that's all it really requires. It's going to take a while, you know, it's like a slow evolution, but eventually you'll come to trust that that meaning is going to give you a little bit of space and a little bit of opportunity to share what you need. And you're going to see it action. So you'll feel trust. You'll feel like there's a win there in, in being there. And this is just like, it's a, it's a slow progression over time with these very, very specific, you know, prescriptive tactics that we've found that creates really great bonds within teams inside of organizations. It's brilliant. It's brilliant. And so, so respectful, like so respectful and it's not forced. So time and time again, you say like, let's not force the fun. Let's invite Mm -hmm. people, but also equally honor what is their high and what is their low and what's on their mind? What do they value? Yeah. I, um, and the Christmas party is coming, right? The, the holiday party, we called it, called it now, mm-hmm. but the holiday party is coming up. And I think it is valuable to say, hey, we're in a pandemic. Like, 
what do you want this year? Do we all want to get back together and do something because we've longed for it? Maybe this is the year, but every year we should ask, like, should we be putting our money towards this? Should we donate it? You know, should we do something different? I'll go see a movie. Like we pulled our team when I was at, you know, Plasticity where we would say, Hey, what do we want to do this year? Every year, all of us chose to go to see a movie together, the big cineplex where you'd like eat dinner and we'd drink beer and we'd watch the new Star Wars, like um, the the big, you know, on the big screen. Yeah. On the big screen. And that's what we did as our party. Like we just wanted something. We had a lot of developers and software engineers that wanted to like be in a dark space and quiet. They're not yeah. super social. Yeah. And be entertained. But, I mean, that worked for us. And it might not work for someone else, but we just, always asked and it always seemed to be the thing that everyone wanted to do and I think that's all we have to do it's just just ask you know um one of the other examples and then I won't take too much more of your time but one of the other examples that I love is um you talk about it's a two-way street to solve problems thinking mm -hmm. about like just bringing people like just humans together yes you might be the leader and yes you might be the worker but it's those little elements like you were saying checking in are you like how are you are, are how are you really like those right and so you can see at the beginning yeah I'm fine like I'm fine but maybe if we do check in every week like what a concept she or he the worker might actually say to you, you know what, I'm, I'm not fine, because you've built the trust with yes. them, you've built trust and confidence. But you do also challenge us on both sides, whether we're, we're um, on the team, or whether we're leading the team, you do say it's a two way street for us to solve. And you say, um, culture thrives on the small stuff. And there's an example of I wrote it down, it's you and me and five bucks. Yes. Yeah. And so I, I love that. Yeah. <laughs> there's the there's a concept. It was in a, it was in a movie and it was, you know, reality bites. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Reality bites. And it's just this idea that you should be able to solve problems with, you know, you and that person or you and your team and, you know, coffee is all around or free. It's just, it's the, the whole incremental concepts is that, you know, someone isn't going to say, what can I do for you? You know, what, when a manager asks, what can I do for you to make next week easier? An employee's not going to be like, give me a million bucks or, you know, or maybe tongue in cheek, but that's not right. what they're expecting. Right. They're not expect, oh, solve for burnout, you know, solve for systemic discrimination inside of the workplace. No, it's, it's, um, I'm feeling a little bit excluded or I'm feeling, you know, stressed out at, at home or I'm having this problem with this coworker and we're not seeing eye to eye. Like I want to, you know, or this stakeholder in the team, this other person in another team, I'm not really connecting with, but I know they're really important to, to our group. Like these are the kind of things that we can solve little by little. Right. And so that's really what it should be down to, you know, what are $5 solutions really? And normally we get so in our head that if we ask someone, you know, how we can help them, that they're going to say, well, I need three new people and I need you to go and fix this in the, you know, and, and add this technology. And I need to completely erase all of, you know, what I've been doing this last three weeks and I need more help. Like, yeah, you're going to have moments where some people are frustrated and angry. Yes. But really what people are more asking for is help or you know ability to strategize to manage their workload or be more help with efficiencies or maybe they just need some more training in certain areas so that it doesn't take them as long to do things 
these are these are very solvable things and managers shy away from that question because they're thinking it's going to be bigger than they can handle and most of the time 90 percent of the time it is totally handleable handleable <laughs> solvable yes yeah and and we need to just be more brave and open to being asked you know how to how to help better yeah there's that human centeredness but you're you're exactly right you're exactly right we are all afraid and and like totally the the leaders that i support the women um, entrepreneurs that i'm around the people who are um, you know running big teams i would say often that's the wonder or the worry that if i ask is it right. going to open up Pandora's box? Is it going to be that now I'm, they need me as a therapist and I'm not qualified as a therapist or like yes. they're worried about. So it's good to hear that, Hey, maybe you're worried about something that is 90% unlikely, like hold on to that. Yes. Like, and, and even if it was something really big, I'm sure we are all resourceful that we could, you know, Google, uh, a mental health support person. Like I'm sure we would have the resources to, to find a way for our person because, you know, we, we value them as an individual on our team, their contract, et cetera. But wouldn't that yeah. be so great to remind people? We really do need to remember and leaders. I've been sharing this with them a lot is that first we can say, be transparent and, and vulnerable and say, I don't have the budget for that. I don't have the resource for that. But the more that I hear that this is needed, the more I can document it, the more I can advocate. Right. And so we need to hear this. So, you know, repeatedly, so I can say that this employee said this, this time, this is what's happening. These, this is how I create a case for you. So this can happen, but I can't necessarily change it right now, Today. but I'm going to try. And also managers need to be able to establish and say right up front, I want to talk about mental health with you amongst this team. And I want you to know I'm not a mental health professional, but I know that I can get you to the mental health professionals that will help if that's you. what you needed. That's right. That's what you need. So here is your EAP and the resources and managers need to get one-on-one on where those things live in their organizations. A lot of time they are afraid to ask, but they have not taken the time to educate themselves on what is available Good in reminder. their ERPs or EAPs. So where do we have teletherapy? Do we have telehealth options? Do we have subsidies and insurance for you to go to a, a person that is a private practitioner? Do we have a place where there's lo local resources that I can, you know, that are listed on our website that I can direct you to? If you have all this information, you won't be afraid to answer these questions that people have or broach the subject well at least a and good first step like take your first step and be and caveat with the conversation with i'm going to be the conduit that's right but i might not be able to answer your questions and i don't want to because i could do more damage and that's not what i want to do but i, but I, I see have, you i hear you i hear you asking for help and yeah, I have all this That's information funny. for you, but take the time as a leader to learn about what your, you know, the resources that are available to your team, and then you won't be afraid to have those conversations anymore. You're so great, Jen. You're so great. And I, I, I really appreciate, I think you were speaking to me. I'm just looking for it in the book where you said leaders, I believe in us. <laughs> I do. I I believe in us too. <laughs> Before I close, I want to ask you um, my my three last questions. So one yes, is, if you had a chance to go back 
to your 21 year old self? Or if you had a young woman, a young 21 year old in front of you, what advice would you have for her today? I definitely would say trust the, the process. And I mean that because, you know, at 23, I was working in journalism in my field. I was like, just loving it. It was a good start. And then, you know, my fiance at the time, Jim, we were pretty young when we were together, got an opportunity to go to California. And, um, and it sounds like a real dream, right? You go do that, you take the opportunity. But when I got there, I couldn't work yet. And I had to leave a really great job. And I was working at an Indian food place. I had three jobs. I worked at any food restaurant um, and Taylor loft and then a bookstore. So I had these three jobs were so poor, you know, I had to go through this mindset shift of, I'm I like changing what I thought is something I was really proud of to feeling like, oh, I don't have the same pride in this. And then I questioned that. I said, why not? Like this, you love what you're doing right now. You're having a blast. It's almost like the space to reflect. You've been so focused on your career for so long. Let's take a moment and just enjoy this opportunity of adventure. And, you know, in the moment, it was hard to see that, um, that feeling. And I wish I had told myself more than to just stop and recognize that this is just, this is not permanent. This is not forever. It's just, it's really hard to get very myopic at that age, you know, at 23, like, why haven't I figured everything out? And we go through these quarter century crises, like, where's my husband? Where's my, (laughs) you know, where's the plan and, or, or where's my future? Where's my spouse? Whatever that is, the partnership, have I found that person yet? Whether, whether that's 1950s or 2021, I think we still have this, like this need to just plan our whole future out and have it all together. And instead it led me, that job led me to a really other cool opportunity. This work at a, in the Indian food restaurant got me this very cool job as a publicist for a film festival where I got to work with Steve Wozniak in the early days of Apple and just really cool things. And that led to other things and other things. And I think we need to go and tell our 21 year old selves and those young women that think they need to get it all figured out. You have lots of time and just trust that whatever you're in, in this moment is, Oh, is the right place for you. And yeah. And then, and then, yeah. And then you'll get there. Look you know, you'll, you'll get there. So don't, don't discount it as you being set back because you're not mm-hmm. ever set back. You're always mm-hmm. either sideways or moving forward. Mm-hmm. Oh, I love it. Thank you. What about, um, do you have a book or a podcast that you're listening to that you would recommend? So yes, I always, um, I really, well, I have a book that I really love that I think is important for everyone to read. It's called A Little Life. And I'm a big fiction reader, which is interesting because I write nonfiction, but I really believe in reading fiction to develop your empathy and connection to the world. And I think it's really helpful. I mean, and it's known to develop empathy, especially in young people. And so A Little Life is this really painful book. And it makes us question whether any one person can endure that much pain. And I had to take a break in the middle of it because it was so sad and emotionally draining that I actually read like, and I'm not obviously servicing this book very well by saying, you know, you should read it, but I, I read like some sort of, you know, but I went back to it and it's just 
stuck with me. And I think a lot of that is just because we get myopic, when we want to build our empathy, we have to go into another world to think our lives are really hard and everyone has a challenge, but there's always someone that is going through something really dramatically worse. And, um, and that's not supposed to make us feel better. It's supposed to make us have more empathy for everyone else that's struggling right now. Um, and so that's really the, the book that I'm into. And I love Freakonomics. I am a religious Freakonomics okay. listener. So I do love it. And I've been sort of into these like true crime wondery podcasts lately that um, my husband and I will go in the car and drive for a while and just like listen to the podcast. Yeah. I, I love all podcasts. Yeah. All podcasts. Great. I love Ooh. them. Yeah. Oh, thank you. And my last question is, you know, when I created this um, podcast, I wanted to create something where we remind each other as high achieving professional women, um, managing teams with the world on our shoulders, trying to do everything. But I wanted there also to be a reminder to take care of our own self so that we can continue to live our best life or live life in overflow. So how are you? We talked a bit about some of the systems, but how are you living life in overflow these days? I feel like I'm in a really incredibly um, privileged place right now. I, I think there was a little bit of timing and the fact that I've been talking about burnout for quite a while. And then unfortunately a pandemic has exacerbated the issue and you never want to look at that as some sort of silver lining, but you have to look at these really challenging traumatic times in your life and think, how do I create post-traumatic growth from this? How do I reframe it? How do I take something from it? Um, and I think I've done that before. I mean, Jim and I, and our story previous to how we built the company was a post-traumatic growth story. And I think here we are again in a situation where it's like, how do we utilize? Um, one of the things we used to say in the startup was when we were constantly struggling, you know, payroll at the beginning and just, oh, the stress of funding and and uh, products breaking down and stuff. And we'd say, well, never waste a crisis. <laughs> and so I've been trying to use that this year. Like, how do I not waste this crisis? I mean, or else it just becomes a traumatic, horrible thing that happened to me and I'm a victim of it. And so I've been doing that. Um, and we've had lots of pain still this year. You know, our kids have struggled with mental health from um, especially our teenage son, um, you know, son, our oldest has really dealt with that you know, real disconnect from not being able to dance and act and things that is so special to them. That has been something we've learned a lot of just how hard it's been on our kids, this pandemic. And so even though there's been these really bright spots, which buffer, you know, the, the stress, we've had a lot of real, real um, concern and worry and other parts of volatility that have been hard. And I think that just juxtaposes, like, you know, in that kind of juxtaposition in your life is a good thing, um, even though it's really hard. You know, it's bonded us. And that is something that I take away from this last year. It, 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 what a concept to take advantage of the, of the traumatic event, but you're exactly right. And you have done a fantastic job, Jen. Like I, I hope, you know, um, and I hope you get lots of, uh, kind of accreditations and a lot of acknowledgements for it. It, it, you have taken advantage of the, of the crisis and the trauma that's around us, but you are raising us up. 
you're having us think about, woof, I'm going to get emotional about our own burnout. Like you said, all the things that we're worried about, gosh, in our life, but you're also challenging teams and employers that it's time for them to do more too. It's time for them to show up. Um, and really you're helping us empower ourselves, but you're also helping the businesses, the organizations think differently and empower them to help all of us. Like the burnout epidemic um, is well-placed. So don't feel any guilt for like taking advantage of a crisis. Um, and just to top it off, I know no one can see this, but I'm going to take us a, a selfie of us. Okay. We'll take a selfie for the podcast. Yay. Thank you for being did here. Did I look properly into the you camera? Did. <laughs> you did. It won't go anywhere. It's just the audio, but thank it. you so much for being here. Thank you for writing this book. Um, and I'd love to have you back again and, and talk some more for, um, for leaders and women and, and keep inspiring them. Thank you so much, Kim. It was such a wonderful conversation. I really enjoyed it. Thank you so much. Thank you. I hope this podcast feels like a guide in your ear encouraging a shift in your mindset, boldly challenging you to stretch self-care goals and continue to strive and achieve big accomplishments in life because you're not here to be average, you're here to be awesome. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Overflow. If you enjoyed what you heard today, please share it with a friend and subscribe, rate and review the show on your favorite podcast player. If you have any comments, ideas or feedback, you can find me on my website, peoplebrain.ca. Thanks so much for listening.